Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Commander Clash podcast, where me and the rest of the Commander Clash crew, Richard, Seth, and Krim, are all gathered here today to talk about Commander-related topics. And today, we're going to be discussing what we consider overrated or overplayed cards in the Commander format. And we're basing that basically on uh, the most played cards that we can find in on EDHREC.com. Uh, so we'll leave a link also in the video description below if you are looking at this uh, on the YouTube section. What this is not, however, is any way uh, a negative a negative way of looking at, at these cards. We're, we're basically trying to uh, look at cards that we, we feel might be played too much and try to give uh, our alternatives, our takes on why these cards are played uh, more than we expected to be played and give alternatives on what can be played instead. This is not uh, like you are bad if you play these cards. Obviously, Commander is the format where you play the cards that you want to be playing. So if you like these cards, then yeah, you should be playing these cards if you like them. However, if you don't know about these alternative options that we consider better, maybe this can be inform like an informed podcast in that regard. So it's not it's not about like being negative or criticizing card choices. That's not what we're about. We're here to give constructive alternatives and, and our own takes on these cards to open up like a different perspectives. And also, we're not going to be agreeing on all these cards as well. We're all submitting some cards uh, to discussion and then we're going to discuss them together. So we have all those disclaimers out of the way. We're going to jump into the first section of cards. And these are actually three cards, three cards that are specifically green-based land ramp cards. And the first card is Rampant Growth. The second card is Farseek. And the third card is Explosive Vegetation. Um, so first of all, who chose uh, these cards? Rampant Growth. Who put Rampant Growth on this list? Mm -hmm. So I had Rampant Growth and Farseek and mm. also Explosive Vegetation, although Richard beat it, uh, me to it. So I think that was technically one of his choices. But I also agree with uh, Explosive Vegetation. So, All right. I guess, I guess that's uh, good to start with you then, Seth. Why do you consider these cards overrated? Okay, so there, there's kind of two different reasons. Rampant Growth and Farseek, they kind of go together in my mind. I'm not saying you shouldn't play these cards. They're very good. Actually, maybe I should start with Explosive Vegetation because this will make more sense if I do. Explosive Vegetation, it costs four mana. Uh, we have a ton of ramp these days. We have a ton of ramp that costs two mana and three mana. I don't think most decks need to play four mana ramp spells period like i just i don't think you need them you got enough cheaper options that you can play that are just as powerful and even if you do need to play four mana ramp there's like migrations path in other like strictly better versions of explosive vegetation that are just as cheap and accessible that do what it does and then some so uh, i say with explosive vegetation play the two and three mana ramp instead of the four mana ramp that kind of might seem contradictory with rampant growth and far seek which is two ra mana ramp and i do think you should be playing those 
over explosive vegetation. The thing that caught my eye though is for some reason, Rampant Growth and Farseek are way more heavily played than Nature's Lore in three visits, according to EDH Rec. And I think that Nature's Lore in three visits, they're also two mana. They put the land into play untapped and they can get dual lands. It's gotta be a forest, but you can grab dual lands. I think that they are just better than Rampant Growth and Farseek. I know they cost like a tiny bit more, like $4 compared to $2 or something. So maybe if you're on a really tight budget, I can understand why you'd go that direction. But if you're okay with playing a $4 card over a $2 card, I think that you should be adding Nature's Lore and Farseek as your first two mana ramp spells in your green deck, and then filling it out with the Rampant Grows and Farseeks and what I would consider the lesser two mana ramp spells. All right, sweet. And Richard, you said you also uh, contributed to uh, these top three. So what's your argument for Explosive Vegetation uh, yeah, being overrated? I, there's no argument for Explosive Vegetation. Uh, Budget-wise, all the alternatives are just as cheap. We're talking about like twenty-five cent cards. Hmm. Uh, like Seth mentioned, like we have cards that put forced into play untapped, uh, so they're just strictly better. And then we have things that grab uh, other dual lands, like Guild Gates and things like that. And then if you even use the argument of I don't have enough forest to fetch, that is also gone in twenty twenty-one as we have fetchable forests at common that are dual, right? So yeah, the, the new snow dual lands from yeah. time. Right, wow. so there is actually no reason to play explosive vegetation, right? Like you can spend like a dollar to get like four other explosive vegetations, and the way it differs from rampant growth and far seek, I hard disagree with Seth on those two because yes, three visits in nature's lore are better. Uh, that's ten dollars worth of cards versus two dollars of cards, but that's not even the point. The point is you will play the third two CMC ramp spell, which is now far seek or rampant growth. Uh, explosive vegetation, you probably don't need more than two four CMC ramp, if any, right? So you would probably never play it, but you will need the third two CMC, right? You will play the Far Seek, you will play Sacred Tribe Elder, you will play Rampant Growth because you're gonna put them all in your deck, right? Like you put all four in your deck, nature's lore and three visits included, and then call it a day, right? So I think they are properly represented. You do throw them in every deck. <laughs> I, I agree with that. I agree with that. You should play them all in every deck, but the EDH rec percentages say that like rampant growth or far seek is in like 30 plus percent of decks when like nature's lore is in like 17 percent of decks. So there's a meaningful number of people who are playing rampant growth and far seek, but not nature's lore. Maybe it's all people trying to save a few bucks, which is perfectly legitimate if it's a budget thing. But I would say those percentages should be reversed, discounting people on super tight budgets. I would say that Nature's Lore should be like number one along with three visits and then Rampant Growth and Farseek. But I do definitely agree that if you're playing a green deck, you're going to play all those two mana ramp spells and be cutting the four mana ramp spells like Explosive Vegetation. What if you're me and play, you're, you're so like next level that you play Farseek and mono green decks because you heard Farseek <laughs> is better than Rampant Growth. <laughs> and you're like, I just stick it in here. <laughs> we'll I put them on that. You only need 98 like... cards in Commander. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you. I bet you that Farseek, because of that one game, Farseek in mono green decks probably has a disproportionately high win percentage. You'll like if somebody's like scouring, you know, just like online game records, be like, how many times is Farseek cast in a mono green deck and the person wins the game? Oh, a hundred percent win rate? I guess maybe this is a secret tech. I 
<laughs> I will say though, there is a situation where that four man, like a four mana like ramp spell, like explosive vegetation. By the way, I think is acceptable. Uh, I do, I do like uh, the the four mana one where it's like it has kicker and you can put one one counters. Yes. That one I think is great in certain decks, uh, but uh, otherwise mm-hmm. I, I I am fully in agreement that a majority of these cards like explosive vegetation aren't aren't needed in your deck. It, they're they're actually like pretty bad. There's always exceptions. I, I think like super heavy landfall decks too. Yeah, I'm more willing to play some of the four mana like ramp spells just because you're not just ramping; they're triggering all your stuff. So there's always exceptions to these things. Uh, so I would I would agree with that too. Yeah, and I'm I'm much the same with with the rest of you. I I think explosive vegetation in particular uh, doesn't really doesn't really justify its position anymore. Uh, before we didn't have a lot of options. Ramp options were a lot more tight, and then as you said, in landfall decks, um, you you really wanted to have a critical mass of uh, ramp cards that put lanes into play. But these days. Uh, we have like migration path, which is essentially explosive vegetation, but you can cycle it when you don't need it. Uh, I, I I know what you're talking about from the kicker one. The kicker one is also literally just explosive vegetation, but you can pay an additional kicker cost. Vestwood uh, Surge. Plus two, plus two. Vestwood, sur- uh, Vestwood, Vestwood Surge, I believe it's yeah. called. Yeah. So I think that can, like, if you are interested in an explosive vegetation card, um, that's that's totally understandable. Some decks will want uh, four mana, put two lands into play, but there's others that are about as cheap as explosive vegetation these days uh, that have an upside to them. So you might as well run those. And I don't think there's enough room to have like five explosive vegetations in the deck. Rampant growth and farseek, though, like I think those cards are are amazing. Um, Nature's lore and three visits, though, I, I see. I could I could understand having less. Um, like I can understand. Uh, those being perhaps underrated uh, because we do have now a common uh, force dual lands. So before, you know, if you had alpha duels and, and shock lands, yeah, those are expensive. It's like that, like getting those uh, force duels are very difficult. But now in Cal time, you have a uh, duel, you have those cycling duels from Amonkhet, you have the battle bond uh, cycle too. Those are relatively cheap as well. We have budget alternatives for dual lands for force duels. So if you're in a two color deck, uh, three visits in nature's lore uh, gets more appealing. They are kind of expensive though. Like rampant growth is under a dollar nature's lore is is over six dollars so like yeah if you are on a tight budget um then that is definitely a consideration i would run all four in most green decks like richard said um so so that's something to keep in mind explosive vegetation though i have no real no real argument to 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 back it up (laughs) i don't think that card um should see that much play anymore all right, moving on to the next category. These are two counter spells or counter magic spells. One being uh, the iconic counter spell, and the other being a more uh, group huggy sort of of counter magic, which is arcane denial. So counter spell basically just double blue counter target spell. Arcane denial, one generic, one blue uh, counter target spell. Uh, but then your opponent, the, the person you just countered, the owner of that spell, uh, may draw two cards, and then you also get to draw a card at the next upkeep. Um, so first of all, who puts the counterspell on the list? I mean, I put literal counterspell, uh, and yeah, 
It, mm-hmm. this, so I personally do not like Counterspell. I don't know why. It's paid, played in like 43% of, of decks. Uh, and it's just a blue-blue. First off, it's like very color intensive. So unless you're mono-blue, it being double-blue is annoying. And then on top of that, it does. it's just a simple one-for-one. And I think I, I know that it seems bad that like having arcane denial uh, it, as a replacement. Uh, like for me, I think that's better uh, because even though you draw your opponent a card, you also draw yourself a card, <laughs> uh, and I'm okay with that. You, I'm often okay with helping my like you know it. It also makes it. I think the reason why I think it's a better replacement is also because it's it's like padding. It's a little bit less of a feel bad. It's like, look, I countered what you're gonna try to win the game with, but I drew you a card. See, so mm. I I do I do think arcane denial is is usually fine in that because I think you do need a, something to replace itself after you counter it because a one for one just is really bad in a multiplayer game. So but, I, I guess uh, my my follow up question would be like, if if counter spell isn't good. Uh, what would you consider a good alternative? I guess you yeah, said Arcane, Arcane Denial, Denial is, is I, I think Arcane Denial is much better. And yes, I know that it's like, well, mm. hold on. You're also refilling your opponent's hand, right? But the thing here is like if you're countering their best spell uh, and like thing that ends the game, I don't care what you're drawing after that, right? Now, if it's recursion, then Fair. then you know whatever, right? I I, I can't that that sucks. But like, if I drew you into anything else in your deck, it's not the thing that was going to win you the game, and that's what I care about. So so this is a twofold argument. It's more like counterspell is overrated, but arcane denial is actually yeah. good, and we have also arcane denial here as overrated. So I want to hear from <laughs> who put arcane denial here as an overrated card to discuss. So I put Arcane Denial as an overrated card uh, to discuss. I don't understand how Counterspell can be bad because it's a one for one, but Arcane Denial can be good when it's like a three for two. So your opponent's actually, like if you just want to stop the bomb, Counterspell does that too. And it's actually a worse trade as far as resources. Like you're giving your opponent more cards when you Arcane Denial. My big argument against Arcane Denial, I get that, it can lessen the feel bad. I think like the political aspects, I think that's cute and I think that's fine, but I don't want to give my opponent two cards. Like when it comes down to it, like I'm trying to draw the most cards, not give cards to my opponent. I think I would rather play a situational two mana counter spell like negates and essence scatters and things like that, or play a, play a unconditional three mana counter spell than play an arcane denial. I do like counter spell itself though. I think counter spell itself is fine. I guess if we're having that debate, I would definitely, I never play arcane denial. I will refuse to put it in my deck, period. <laughs> Matter Ma- of principle. You can't Ma- allow somebody else to draw more cards than ex- ex- you. Exactly. I guess I could also see an argument for CDH decks. Uh, I think if you're winning the game, you turn you arcane denial then it's fine because your opponent's not going to be able to make use of those cards. So if you're playing like CDH and protecting your combo or something, I can, I can see that merit for playing Arcane Denial. What about the blue, blue, the blue, blue. That's another thing that I've like, oftentimes you wouldn't think it's that big of a deal, but because like usually counter spells are double blue in some form, right? Whether it's two or three mana or even four mana counter spells, oftentimes that's pretty color intensive. Uh, so I, that's another reason why I like Arcane Denial. Uh, I can actually just have, it, it's yeah. a lot easier to cast. You don't think much about it. It's like, well, hold on. You should be able to pay blue and blue. But the amount of times where that would offset what I'm trying to play, uh, and, and like what I'm trying to hold up is, is more common than you'd think. Hmm. 
But then wouldn't that make mana drain bad? Uh, but mana drain is worth it because <laughs> mana drain ramps, right? Like so, like mana, it has to, it has to be that good, right? And and mana okay. drain is so that it. good. It is. I can I can see the the blue blue argument, especially for like five color decks. I think in a two or three color deck, I'm probably not really concerned about the difference between blue blue and one and a blue. But if you're playing like a full on four or five color deck. That is that is a vote, I guess, in favor of Arcane Denial, but I still don't know if that makes me willing to give my opponent two cards if I don't have to, when there's other options that are almost as good and just as inexpensive. It, yeah, and, and I think that's that's an important part that I've, I forgot to mention in the intro. Uh, when we're talking about overrated cards, we're not going to be like, well, this card is overrated because you should get, like, this $1 card is overrated because you can get a $50 card instead that's right. strictly better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we're talking in the context of, of lower budget. So, like, yeah, Counterspell, uh, if, if you consider your Counterspell overrated, Arcane Denial is the exact same price. Um, so it makes sense to to discuss it in, in comparison to that. And, uh, yeah, like, but, yeah, I don't want to jump in. Obviously, Force of Will is better. Or yeah, Force of yeah, Asia yeah. Or Mana Drain. But those are $100 yeah. cards. Yeah. So we're, we're kind of le- Mana Drain as well. So we're kind of leaving those out of the conversation. But what were you going to say? Well, Chris? on top of that, like, having cards like Baral, and, like, so with a lot of Spellslinger decks, I feel like also Arcane Denial actually can benefit from, like, you know, mana reduction, whereas, like, you know, it's always going to be blue-blue. So the mana cost thing, once again, uh, another big part for me. Fair enough. What do you I, guys think? I, <laughs> Tomer I think, and Richard, you haven't said anything. I think who, they're both who good. I don't know. I run both a lot. So, like, Counterspell, I just consider it's such a... It's a it's a one-for-one. One. It's double blue, so I won't run it in three-colored deck or more. But in, like, mono-colored decks, for example, I, I still consider it very solid because it's unconditional. Like, sometimes I want to counter a, com- a commander that's really scary, but I also want to counter a board wipe when I'm ahead or, or you know, whatever. So I like... I like the like the no no restriction version of counterspell uh, over let's say a negate. Like I like the negate's uh, flexibility and how splashable it is. And I also appreciate like in Spellslinger when you have a mana reduction uh, that's going to be cheaper. Uh, but I just like I, I just think counterspell is a really solid really solid just answer. And arcane denial though I actually agree with Krim. Uh, we talked in the past how. Blue decks, at least from a psychological standpoint, countering a spell feels a lot worse for the receiver than just doomblading a creature if if it is relatively the exact same effect. Um, Arcane Denial is a sneaky way to get around that feel bad, where yes, you are countering an important spell, but it's lessened by the fact that you're going to be drawing two cards afterwards. And it is a three for two, so you are down in terms of the exchange, but... I do think that's worth it because just the uh, the aggro that you pull at the table is going to be lessened, and I do I do think that is something worth considering. It's not printed on the card, but I actually do appreciate it. I don't know. That's it, that's my take. <laughs> I, it makes me especially puzzled though that Krim likes it so much because I thought Krim's entire goal was to make the rest of the table feel as bad as possible. So why <laughs> why do you want to lessen the feel he bad? He needs Krim? the extra card <laughs> yep. for yeah. the additional counter spell. No, it, it's also because he like has he, he when he runs counter magic he doesn't run like two like we do. He runs like ten. So he, like he needs he needs a critical mass. So this might not be like in the top five, obviously. But you know if you need to run ten counter spells, Arcane Denial is a good one. Of the top I actually 10. run denial <laughs> over counter spell. 
quite often. So Ooh. you'll actually see if you look at my yeah. list, I leave counterspell out. That's very green of you. Right. <laughs> so on the arcane denial thing, I actually agree with Krim, right? And not because of the feel bads, but if you're doing this correctly, you're not countering every spell your opponent's playing. You're countering their good spell and leaving their bad spells to resolve, right? So you cycling and getting a new card is very important. Your opponent drawing a land and expedition map or whatever is not so much important. However, 43% of blue decks running counterspell is ridiculous. I think counterspells in general are overrated. (laughs) People don't understand what they're doing with the card, right? Like you... You don't just put it in your deck for any reason, right? You want to put it in your deck to protect your win con. So if budget was not a restriction, you would play all the good ones, which are Fierce Guardianship, Force of Will, Force of Negation, Swan Song. Even Swan Song is like expensive, right? Uh, the, the cheap ones that you can deploy your game-winning board state and counter for free. Now, if you can't do that, right, budget-wise, Counterspell is still bad, right? Because what are you going to do? You're going to tap out, deploy all your stuff, yeah. right? And then untap and then like try to protect it. Right. And if you're gonna do that, you might as well play one of these like five mana counter spells that like gives you insane value, like cryptic commands, uh, mystic confluence, things like that. You cannot play the game holding up double blue the whole time because you just negative explosive vegetation yourself the whole game. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I, I feel people play too many counter spells. You shouldn't play that many counter spells. You should just play like a handful to protect your win cons. That's it. Unless you're trying to play some weird control deck. And then when you are playing those ones, you should just play like the reactionary spells that are cheaper, like, you know, Teferi's Protection or something if you, if you can, or like, I, I don't know, Blossoming Defense if you're playing like Voltron. And, you know, if you really want to play Counterspell, play like Mystic Confluence, play something that's more versatile, that draws you more cards that can do the same thing because you probably have like five mana to counter with at this point. Yeah. And then if you, are, if you have no money concerns, just play the free Counterspells. They're like strictly better. Yeah. So... <laughs> don't play counter spells. <laughs> like they're they're just not good. Not forty three percent of blue decks need to play them. That's like so high. That might be the highest percentage uh, of like you know any, anything, right? Especially since it's double blue. Like if you're playing three color deck, like good luck trying to cast a counter spell, right? Or a four color deck, like it's a lot harder. It's right? especially in those I, decks I, where hmm. mana drain. Like like mana drain is the only thing I would probably play that's double blue. They're also I, I good at stopping like, your opponent, yeah. though. Like, that's the other thing. Like, they are good for protecting your combo, but they're also st- good at stopping your opponent's combo. And They stop blue at anything. Right? And if you're that's, heavily, that's how uh, good they are. And if you're heavily you blue, like, what else do you have? I, I think of, like, Counterspell as, like, blue swords to plowshares. It's just, like, the, an efficient, cheap way that you can answer something. So it shows up in basically all of my blue decks like uh, i mean i guess unless i have the budget to play all the free ones yeah. uh, then maybe it won't because of that but uh, assuming i can't just play all the free ones i think it has enough value to be worth it i do think you people do play them wrong a lot and i do think that you shouldn't counter everything and people probably play too many counter spells but i think one or two is definitely worth having in your what, deck is just what, like what, a what catch-all old... answer Wise Crim say the best counter spell is the counter spell you don't cast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Like True. you don't cast this like they, they they play some game winning bomb. Does it win the game on the spot? Then don't don't counter it. Right? Unless it literally ends so unless it literally ends the game on the spot and you're the last person in priority order. Oh gosh, that's the right? best <laughs> like, last in priority order. Like that's what you do, right? Like, you know, they're they're playing 
kindred discovery, let it resolve, <laughs> right? Like you don't need to counter that, right? You let it resolve, the, the table will dogpile that person. Done, they killed themselves. You didn't even waste a card doing it. Perfect. <laughs> yep, <laughs> right? uh, yep. I, I agree to an extent. I just find, I find holding up double blues very awkward for a lot of yep. blue decks. Uh, in Drago yep. decks, it's really, I, I think it's, it's really easy to do so. So I would run in most Drago decks. But at the same time, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say like counter magic in general is therefore not that great. Like you only run the free ones. Like w I think holding up one mana is very reasonable, which is why one of my favorite uh, budget counter magics is Spell Pierce. Um, I find I find Spell Pierce incredibly versatile, and a lot of my blue decks uh, I can easily keep up one blue mana uh, for my turn. It's not ideal sometimes. I have to change what I'm going to be sequencing or whatever, but. Having like a spell pierce ready and, and, and able, like especially if I have a good board position, I don't want to get board wiped or whatever, uh, or I'm I'm kind of afraid that an opponent's going to you know combo off or something on their turn. I can still deploy most of my game plan and keep one man up. The difference between one blue and double blue is it huge. Just it doesn't sound like much, but it is actually huge. So like I don't know, one mana counter magic I think is is a lot better. Like. Spell, I run this, spell this needs like to be a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fine. So, I, I feel you should never be countering anything on like the first five turns of the game or something. Like whatever hits the board, like is not relevant, and a counter should not be used uh, unless like, unless uh, unless yes. mana drain because that's yes, a exactly because oh, I don't know. I don't know. There was a <laughs> commander clash that happened. I don't know. It's probably going up as we're recording, uh, where uh, uh, somebody played a usury and. And we did not answer it in the ter first three turns, and we lost the game because of it. I don't know. I feel like there's there's uh, something. So, so you're gonna play every game holding up double blue in case someone plays their commander. Like no. you cannot. That's just an unfortunate circumstance where literally no one had any answers, right? No, but so. I, I think some people can have big early plays and having like I don't know. There will be times where you just don't need all your mana on turn four. You play three drop instead of a four drop. And because you have a spell, but imagine if you replace here. Here's like if you replace counterspell with explosive vegetation. <laughs> you could have spent that four mana and wrapped instead of just holding up counterspell because you have no other plays. Yeah, but imagine if you were on like turn eight or whatever, and you didn't. You want you top deck the spell pierce instead of a explosive vegetation. You'll be happier. Yeah, you well, have the turn eight is fine. Like like after a certain amount of time, spells are now impactful and you can yeah. counter them. But I have like the first four or five turns, unless you're playing like literally draw go like what are you countering like why sure. right like you just, just let it go <laughs> at, at the risk of making a smothering tithe i want that countered i don't know like there's there's a bunch of high impact things that you can drop early heuristic study on turn three like i don't know there's, let it resolve and everyone kills them <laughs> right that, that's perfect if only if only that were true richard if only that were true i love this we have I love a whole this catalog of commander clash where this is true <laughs> Fine. All right. For the sake of for the sake of the, the, the podcast length, let's move on to uh, the third one that we're going to be talking about. And this is a land, classic land. Uh, sees play in thirty percent of all decks on EDH Rec. Evolving Wilds. Everybody knows it. If you play Commander, if you have a precon, I think that's probably also what has the 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 numbers so high. Is I think it's shown up in basically every single Commander precon ever printed. Um, at least the multicolor ones. Evolving Wilds. Uh, I see Seth, you put it over here. Uh, wh wh what do you think is overrated about Evolving Wilds? 
Okay, so I gotta be a little careful with this one because Evolving Wilds is legitimate mana fixing on a tight budget, especially for like four and five color decks. The thing about Evolving Wilds, and I've learned this from experience uh, playing non-commander formats. If you look at my budget magic decks, let's say, I used to play a ton of Evolving Wilds. But over the years, I've learned if you're playing like two colors or even three colors to some extent, most of the time you're going to be happier replacing it with a basic land. This isn't an argument to... You play a dual land that costs you $50, like a literal basic land. It's free uh, as draft chaff at your local game store is often going to be better than Evolving Wilds. The other thing is like people, I don't know why they play it. I don't really understand why just a random two color deck is needing to play this when there's so many cheap dual options and it's arguably worse than a basic land. Deck thinning is not a legitimate argument. <laughs> like don't fall into that trap. So it's not that you should never play Evolving Wilds, but it's played in a lot of decks that shouldn't be. Uh, and I'm not really sure why. I, okay. I, don't I mean, even... I, I, do... I disagree. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I want to hear that. that, Richard. Why do you disagree? It is. So I don't agree with the put a basic land in. Maybe if you're playing, like, even a two color deck, right? So where it gets interesting is two color decks, right? Like, when you get to four or five color decks, it's, it's doing different things. But in two color deck, you could run enough duels, right? There are enough, like, guild gates and things, right? But what that means, like, what are there, like, say 10 cycles of like dual lands that you can put in uh, times 10, that's a hundred cards you need to own, or you can own one Evolving Wilds that you can just jam in as like your seventh guild gate or something into your deck, right? Hmm. So from a practical perspective, it's pretty good, <laughs> right? And the downside is I, I wouldn't play a basic over it, right? Like I think that's bad. You're playing this to get the right color mana. So it's really replacing a guild gate and as the seventh guild gate or whatever, I think it's fine. As the seventh, you know, ETB tapped duel, I think it's fine. It's not even and a duel. And then it has though. other upsides. It's not a it's not a duel though. It only makes so one it, color it's not of a mana. Duel. It's a but it's we're a talking two color decks, right? Yeah, and in a two color like, deck, you it's don't not a duel, but it will fix your mana. It's like a pathway, right? It fixes your mana in the way that you need it, so you're not color screwed, oh. right? I didn't add them to the list, but Pathways would be very high on my most overrated list if, <laughs> if I had thought if about it. Do you, you want to own every dual land they ever made so that you have like the 10 Boros dual lands to put in your deck and then next week you have the 10 Simic dual lands you need to put in your deck? Or you just have one Evolving Wilds in your collection and call it a day, right? I don't, if I was a paper player, I don't think I want to be taking my one 10 cent Evolving Wilds out of my deck and putting it in a No, you would buy 10 week. of them. We call it a day, right? Instead of like 100 <laughs> dual lands across all cycles and all color pairs, right? But basic. So Just pay like, basic. Like, like it's Commander. Bucks. You got Mana Rocks. You got lots of fixing. <laughs> like, why, why do you need Evolving Wilds? Like, it's such a bad form of fixing. It comes into play tapped. It only makes one color of mana. I honestly think that a basic land is better. Like, that has been... That has been my technique for two color decks is just play another basic over in Evolving Wilds and I've been happy with it. But you can make that argument all the way back to the first dual land you play, right? The first guild gate you play. Well, I just play a basic, it ETB's tapped. It makes two colors of mana though. Like it actually, it, that always. actually does fix my yeah. mana and Evolving Wild doesn't. Evolving Wilds is like a, relevant half, very small a half way of, of fixing, I think. Like it fixes because you can grab whatever yeah. color you're missing. But I mean, it doesn't. It's it's like a pathway. It only taps for one color afterwards after you've made your decision. I don't know. I feel like I think we have. I, I treat it equivalent to a guild gate. I think 
I would not. I would definitely would not. The Gilgate, the Gilgate taps with two different colors at all times. Right? Evolving Wilds will Yes, only but you need one. more than one guild gate, right? right and then so by the time you get to your third or fourth one, Evolving Wilds is good enough. Right? I feel like we've reached a critical mass <laughs> at this point that we have enough super budget duels that we don't need Evolving Wilds. Like, I, I agree with Seth here. I, I've cut Evolving Wilds from all my dual color, uh, two color decks because uh, I just don't I just don't need them. I I feel like we have guild gates, we have the Bountain, we have the Karoos, we have the Lorehold Campus, we have the Cal Time. Uh, ones we have the gain lands that gain one life when they enter the battlefield. Then we have a bunch that are like they just enter the battlefield the and college tap campuses. And they don't gain you a life. Yeah, they yeah campuses. They have like the invasion lands. They have they have the freaking ones from cons. I remember there was like yeah we ha- we have I think like each color pairing. I'm not I I don't know because I have I I don't have it in front of me, but I think the ones that are the allied pairs I probably have like ten or so at this point, and the ones that are enemy pairs probably have like six or so. And I think that's enough. Like you run those, uh, you run, you know, command tower, you run path of ancestry, maybe an exotic orchard. You know, I just evolving wilds costs about the exact same as all those cards. So I just look at how many cards you just listed, though, Tomer. (laughs) You have you have sixteen cycles, and you need all the cards from those cycles that do what an evolving wilds can do, right? So just no, the but evolving wilds worse than all of those because all of those tap for two different colors, and evolving wild finds the one color you're missing at, at a given time, but then it only taps for one color. All right, I give up. I go. <laughs> I mean, I agree with you. Obviously, it taps for two mana, right? But just so many cards you need to buy upkeep, or you throw in evolving wilds, which is like ninety five percent of a guild gate. Just buy with some upside. Buy right? a recursion full set and shuffling. One. I don't know. Buy a full set of each one. It will cost you like five bucks total. I don't know. But there's sixteen sets, Tomer. Sixteen sets. You just listed. There's it's so many. fine. You just go to our sponsor, carking.com. You can pick them all up for like ten cents each. It's fine. Oh we should pitch that to them. Like your dual land starter dual pack, hundred yeah. dual lands right here. Yeah. Replace that evolving wild starter pack. A hundred a hundred pack of evolving wild. So people yeah. Will be sad to put wow, in every what a deal! Deck. What a deal! Hundred pack of evolving wilds. If you order it today, we'll throw it a terramorphic expanse. You build a new commander deck and just like grab one off the pile, put it in the sleeve. All right, my man is good. Are we? Are we, What do you mean? It. I can only have one run of these. Are we just overlooking the shuffle effect and like the fetching? What about the oh yeah? What about the deck? The, thinning, like, no, though? like okay, the 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 legitimate part of I guess like the amount of times that I'm playing cards that scry and stuff like that, or or if I like brainstorm locks and and whatnot, right? Like I I I, I don't know. I I guess I value the ability to shuffle. Uh, it's minor percentages, but I actually really do value the, the like I I take it into account um, with, with certain things like that. So. And and I know that it's also very minor percentages when it comes to deck thinning, but that that's not the reason why. I think I <laughs> I like the shuffling. The shuffling is why I I actually enjoy the card, um, just because I I have so many things I can shuffle away. Jace the mind sculptor, brainstorms, things like that. Uh, I, it matters in those kind of decks. In a, that's in a, in a grim deck, it probably. Is I don't want to shuffle good. my hundred card. Yeah, yeah. Counterpoint. So Counterpoint. <laughs> shuffling is the absolute worst. When I have, I have baby hands. Okay. I have okay. Baby okay, hands. okay. Okay. And I don't want to. I have a five-color tribal tribal deck list that had all ten fetch lands, and I recently took them out because I was so tired of shuffling them. I took them out. It's. It was actually a bad. It lowered the power level of my deck. 
I just took them back as a kid. So yeah, so that's yet another reason why I don't like Evolving Wild. I, I'm I'm gonna come to Crim's defense just a tiny bit here because if you're playing a Crim deck, he does always have counterbalances and Sensei's divining that's tops true. and brainstorms and things that but really do benefit from the from the shuffle and Jays, etc. It's like two brainstorms. No, 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 no. And then and then I also play whatever the other the one mana blue enchantment that's kind of like another top. Uh, from from Arcadia, like saying or something. He, yeah, he can't cast double blue but, counter spell because he used evolving wilds to yes. get a planes at some point. Right? It all makes sense. It all works. It's all cohesive. It, it is a good point though. Like sacrifice decks, landfall decks. If you're playing a ton of brainstorm effects, those are I would consider legitimate reasons to play evolving wilds. Like two landfall triggers, that's a big deal. And if you can't afford real fetches, evolving wilds is a you know a way to to sim uh, stimulate that simulate that and actually get the job done so i think there are cases where it's worth it but in a generic deck no nah. all right get good play prismatic <laughs> vista next <laughs> that's like 100 bucks drop more money on it all right how much is vista now it's crazy it's, like it's, it's expensive yeah. yeah yeah it's it's a little bananas all right, moving on to a card that I put on this list, and I have a personal beef with this card, a decades-long grudge against this particular card. This is Phyrexian Arena, and it's currently played 15% of all decks in EDH Rec. Um, this is, you know, a classic Commander staple. This was, like, one of, like, the premier card draw spells in Commander a decade ago like when i started commander in 2011 or whatever uh i had a heated debate with a friend of mine who is now an enemy because of this debate <laughs> uh the phyrexian arena is overrated like this was this was seen way more back in the day because we didn't have that many options uh drawing a card every single turn one card per turn and you have to wait until your next upkeep for that to even happen. So the turn you play Phyrexian Arena on the battlefield, you get nothing. Then you have to wait an entire turn cycle to draw a card. Then you have to wait another entire turn cycle to draw two cards and divination. So this is a three, this is like suspend two divination. It's so bad. And the reason why it's so bad is because it's always been super expensive. Even despite having multiple reprints at this point, it's still at cheapest a $24 card. And you just just if you want to draw two cards over the span of three turns, by all means, but if you want to draw them immediately, why just just run Sign in Blood instead? What if you just run Read the Bones instead? Siphon Mind, Ambitions Cost, uh Ancient Cravings, Promise of Power, all of these are going to draw you cards way faster and at a fraction of the money cost because they're all like less than a dollar. I don't understand Phyrexian Arena. I hate it. And if you're listening, friend, you know who you are. This is a bad card. I'm sorry. It's been a decade. Hopefully you've improved and and, and come on to the right side of life. It's a bad card. I'm sorry. I, I, I I'm actually with Tomer on this one, too. Uh, ah. I, I, I think the card is definitely a dated card. It was cool. It's got nostalgic value. Uh, it has Phyrexian in its name, so it probably got some... But that's not, I'm not even joking. That's like a real reason why some people will like it, right? But I, I, I think that the card is just dated and something that is no longer viable. It's too slow. It's an enchantment, which is a commonly like hated uh, archetype. Or, I mean, a, a card type. Uh, so it gets blown up by just literally anything existing and coming down on the board nowadays. And, yeah, like, it, it's just seriously too slow. 
oftentimes it just it just drawing one card and like taking a whole turn off even if it was on turn three like if i play this on three i still feel like it just didn't do that much through a course of the game Ooh, i i i gotta disagree to some extent like is it overrated Probably, but I think it's better than you're giving it credit for. It's a card that I still play because I think you're maybe underselling the upside. Like, sure, there's easier ways to draw two cards. You can play a read the bones or something for the same amount of mana, but you're underselling the upside of having it sit out on the battlefield for five turns. You play it on turn three, the game goes to turn eight or turn nine, and you ended up drawing six cards or seven cards for your three mana investment. So yeah, it's slow. I get that, but I still think there's a there's a place for it. Is it the should it be played as heavily as it is? Probably not, and I do agree that burst draw is probably better than slow draw, but I don't, I still think that it's good enough to be a part of my black card draw package, and doubly so if I'm playing like gray merchants or other synergies that care mm. about having those pieces on the battlefield, which are pretty heavily played black cards too. I mean, yeah, like I'll admit there for like, like devotion, like devotion stuff like that, I, I will, I will agree there that it's good that for that, but or like maybe, maybe let's say, uh, like an my Alayla deck. Right, because it cares about enchantments. But even then, I don't know. It just outside of that, I don't think it's worth it. Like I think I would have to have it sit around until like turn nine. It has to draw me nine cards to really because I I look at the early turns as like a huge like you know setup and like what I'm trying to set up. That that card though nice isn't good enough for three mana. I think. But if you play it, then you can leave up your counter spells because you don't need to tap out to play card draw. That that's true. <laughs> but you know what? Like I, Seth not playing instant speed card draw. Come on. Yeah. I feel like this is a, this is not a card that I want to be playing on turn three. I want to be ramping. I want to be advancing right. my board in other ways. And if you do, tr- if you are in like top deck mode and you need a card refill, you see Phyrexian Arena. Your heart just sinks. Yep. Like it's like. Oh, it's, it's turn nine. The board has been wiped. I'm empty-handed. Oh, Phyrexian Arena, that'll get me. Arena you know, feels real bad in top 20. deck. Oh, you'll watch out. I I do <laughs> still run it sometimes in Daxos decks if it's no if it's like like Enchantress maybe. I had a friend who ran it in Airboats, which is mono black devotion, and I thought it was fine. But otherwise, it's... this card is lose lose. It's opposite of Ristic Study. You. You will draw way less cards than you think you will, right? If you pl- if you drop it down on turn three, the best case scenario, uh, it's either getting removed in one or two turns when someone sweeps the board, or they're going to kill you. Like turn three, you drop this down, and you don't have defenses because you didn't progress your board or ramp, and you're drawing free cards every turn, everyone will just kill you, right? You draw this late, it draws few cards, right? Wait, so no. mm-hmm. get hate, though. <laughs> if it's so bad, though, why are people going to kill you? Like, yeah, like if it's so bad, are you really going to because it looks the threatening? Plays right? it People arena? think it's good. It's a twenty-four dollar card. It's and you're drawing twenty-four cards, right? dollars. You think it's good? What? I, I don't understand it. Yeah, it is, and, and it's been like, reprinted a bunch too. Like it's it's, it's good for Gary. Yeah. It's good for graveyard uh, like devotion decks. It's good for enchantment decks. But other than that, like like literally side and blood would probably draw you yeah. more cards, <laughs> right? Like remember because like how what are the odds of you having it on turn three? Right, you have I to mean, get it on turn. If you get I, it on turn five or something, if you demonic tutor it up on turn two, oh, <laughs> oh. okay, watch out, Esper Sentinel, right. got a new contestant. 
All right. I, I think I think we set our piece on this one. Uh, we'll just move on to the next one. This is another one of my picks. This is Ghostly Prison. This card is a classic premier uh, pillow fort card. A uh, really good way of preventing people from poking you or even it's swinging at you for lethal. It has a 14% EDH rec play uh, percent. Um, so it does see a lot of play and it's been reprinted a bunch. So it's not too expensive like it was before. It's sitting currently at $2.61. I personally consider this card actually pretty decent. Um, I like it in decks that are creature heavy because you won't have a lot of blockers. And it does an excellent job at not only preventing uh, opponents from just poking you randomly, so it's going to save you a lot of life over the line. Like a lot of the times, like mid to late, uh, early to mid game, people just don't have two extra mana to afford to cast the spells they want to be casting and advance their own board state, and also just randomly hit you for five or whatever. So I like I like it in that regard. But the reason why I put it over here as overrated is I find it's often misused. I find a lot of people who are running these pillow fort decks, they take out or they don't add in removal spells and they use this as their removal or in the in the sense where like, oh, I don't need creature removal because the creatures aren't going to be attacking me. But I think this is a wrong way of seeing it because a lot of creatures these days aren't based on attacking you. That's not what's that's not what the scary thing is. They're going they are card draw engines. They are ramp engines. They are combo pieces that you need to have removed. Um and just sitting behind a, a ghostly prison and be like, well I don't need sorts of plowshares because I just have more ghostly prison effects is a quick way to lose the game because when you have stuff that needs to get removed, uh, you won't have it. And then if your opponent really needs to kill you by attacking, eventually, if you just let them do their own thing, eventually they'll just find a way to remove the prison and you just die there. Uh, so that's why I put it there. I feel like it's misused. Not that it's necessarily a bad card at what it's good at. I just think a lot of people are using it incorrectly. Ooh. I was ready to be like, ah, I disagree because I think <laughs> Ghostly Prison is really good, but I think I agree with your reasoning. Like, I think people do, you got to still have removal, and I, I agree with your reasoning on it. I will say, I'm always shocked in Commander games how something as small as paying two mana is enough to get people to stop attacking you. Like, so effective. <laughs> I was, I just, I played it on a recent Commander Clash and I had a Ghostly Prison, and no one attacked me for the whole game, and people could have, but no one wants to, like, not play another cool thing. So they can pay two mana when they can attack someone else for free and play another card. So I always, every time I have one, I'm just like literally shocked at how well it keeps people from attacking you. But I do agree, you still got to have removal. Like you can't, you can't play this in place of removal. But I do think it is uh, does a good job. Uh, it is good at doing its job. Like it is pretty effective at that. I mean, yeah. Uh, like it, it's a solid spell, solid card. But just once again, I. I I, I will still play a ton of removal plus this. <laughs> That's the of way. Course you will, I play this card exactly like Tomer said we shouldn't. <laughs> In place of removal. I, I, I think this is the... So you know I don't like spot removal, right? So I, I play one or two spot removal spells and Ghostly Prison is the multi-spot removal. Like when you're, when you're hitting me with a 5-5, five five, it's very obnoxious. I do not want to fire off a source of plowshares on your vanilla 5-5. Five five, right. right. I do not want to do that at all. Ghostly Prison stops that 5-5 five five from attacking and allows me to save my one source of plowshares I have in my entire deck for your actual combo creature. 
right? Ghostly Prison lets me not care about your 1-1 tokens and just have a blocker or two so you don't attack me. And then I can sweep the board, you know, like four turns later with the Decree of Pain and draw a billion cards, right? So I actually feel the way Tomer said don't do it, like you should play one removal spell, like one spot removal spell and save it and keep Ghostly Prison as your workhorse. I mean, I... But you're I, not going to have those Fire off swords to plowshares? No, right? No, you don't no, want to well, fire that off on like a 3-3 beater. I, I agree with that. Like, I feel like Ghostly Prison's a great way to conserve your removal spells, but you can't replace removal yeah. spells for it. Like, there's... The problem is... But, that, but like, should you if, jam it into almost every single white deck is the question. And my, my answer to that is probably yes. So it can't oh. be overplayed. <laughs> I, I I would say if I'm in a creature heavy deck, I just don't need it because I have enough deterrent that I'm not going to expect. I, I don't want it to waste a spot on on prison. But like if I'm in a creature light deck, like for example, uh, I was running Drown New Lich Lord recently, um, and I the card that I <laughs> neglected and I really wanted to add afterwards was Propaganda because I didn't have a lot of defenses. And every single time somebody swung at me, I'd have to waste a removal spell on it. Um, so that's really good there. But if I'm like, I don't know, Selesnia tokens, uh, yeah, okay, swing at me. I'm probably going to have tokens on the battlefield. And if I'm not, then there's something more pressing, uh, more uh, pressing than having a prison on the battlefield and nothing else. It means I'm, I'm still losing the game. Um, but yeah, I, I just think like the prison does nothing against like most of the most popular commanders out there, like Yarok and Korvold and Joyra and, and Kaikar and all these things and Chulain and Edgar, like these these don't care if they can't swing at you. It's like, okay, fine. Like if you don't have the swords, I'm just gonna do my own thing and I'm gonna win the game and that prison's gonna do nothing about it. Um so that's but, so let's say you have three slots in your deck. Do you put swords, path, I don't know, generous gift? Or do you put swords, ghostly prison, propaganda? Like, what? What is the correct removal? What 100%. is the correct play here? So you removal. go triple removal. That is the correct one. But why are you? I, I, I would double, also be double, like, why do you only have three removal, removal spells in your in your deck? <laughs> like, what's going on here? <laughs> you don't need removal. It's called I, player removal. <laughs> oh, I, I guess I'll just lose to Corvold when when they cast it. Then I I don't know. I'm resigned to my fate. You, you play here. sweepers for that, right? That's what sweepers are for. Okay. All right. Uh, okay, so fine. Uh, that is it for Ghostly Prison, then. We're going to be moving on to possibly the most controversial uh, cards here listed. Karim, you put the Dual Lands. And to, to clarify, these are the original Dual Lands from Alpha, Beta, Beta, and Unlimited. You say these Dual Lands, which uh, see 14 to 16% play on EDH Rec, depending on which one we're talking about, these ones are overrated. Yep. Uh, these are very, very overrated, but I think it's, I don't know if it's fair to bring it in for this reason, but I think that the the cost of owning these cards uh, just aren't worth what they're doing for you. By now, we've had so many reprints uh, that, like, there are a ton of, like, reprints uh, of, of lands. And sure, they may not, some of them don't have the types, but, like, between Sunken Hollow, Irrigated Farmland, all of these things, yes, I know they're not. They, they can't just be untapped, but you can get that pretty easily with Watery Grave, a much cheaper effect. Uh, there's tons of dual lands across the format, and mostly, I think, mo the reason why I have this on here is because I don't know how they're so, like, unless you already own them and you've had them since forever, uh, going out and actively seeking to buy these just as a dual land doesn't seem like it's worth it. Uh, the, the power that it brings to, like, it, to your deck just doesn't seem powerful enough. 
Do you hmm. know how much Underground Sea is? I didn't even know. I just looked it up. Do you know how much Underground Sea is I right now? The cheapest version? I don't want to think about it. A thousand? Almost a thousand. thousand Nine hundred and twenty-five dollars for the cheapest version of an Underground Sea. Um, I don't think I could ever justify. <sighs> yeah, I. Th- what 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 percentage of power do you think it adds to your deck? Not like even one. one. Not what, even what do you, a how whole do you think percent. it affects your win rate? <laughs> I think it's like point in zero five. Maybe. I don't know, Richard. Even in CDH, CDH man, you have forty life. Yeah, but okay, oh. so you can you can find uh, one. I think it's obviously one strictly the best grave. card, right? Yeah. yeah, there's that's the problem. Like watery grave is a good replacement, and that doesn't lose you much. But after the shock lands, then it's a big drop down to like getting these tap lands that are pretty bad. So from a spiky perspective, I think you'd have watery grave, and you'd want to have underground sea. Uh, I think so, I think if you, like <laughs> even in legacy, even in legacy, one v one twenty life, I would argue like duels add very little to your win percentage. A lot of the games are not won or lost off the back of two life or four life, right? Like yes, some games you will lose, right? But like that percentage is very small. Even in a game like Commander, that percentage is very small. And like think of what you could do with nine hundred dollars, right? Are there any other possible places to upgrade your deck? Do you want to build like three other decks? Right, like there's so much you can do for such a minuscule amount of improvement to your deck that even if you had them, yeah, that's a lot of of them and like buy a PS5 (laughs) or something, right? Like I don't know, right? Like I don't know, it just is not worth it in the slightest. Yeah, I fully agree. Like it just, it just feels like there's no, like it's so marginally better. Like it, it's not even. I would say it's barely noticeable. It's it's something that doesn't come up in most games, but the games where it does come up, you're going to lose the game because of it. And I think that's why it matters. And, and this is probably even more for, like, legacy or CDH aspects. But sure, like, 9 out of 10 games, it's the same as if you have Underground Sea or a bad tap land to fetch out. But that one game, if you're trying to, like, win a tournament or go to a pro tour, like, that's actually a really big deal. So I do agree that... I wouldn't spend nine hundred dollars on a on a single dual land, so the cost to benefit ratio, I guess, is really out of whack and probably not worth it. And even the cheaper ones are like four hundred dollars, three hundred dollars. Even that's way too much for a single land. So I agree that they don't add enough to your deck for their cost, but they are the best at what they do, and they will always be the best at what they do. And if you want to run the 100% deck and you're not happy with the 99% deck and you have unlimited budget, you should play them over every other option. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I have I mean, a single duel. I have a plateau. And I've owned it since 2012. I, and it was like $25 to purchase. Um, So I'm not going to sell it. I guess I won't, I, won't, I won't say that now. I'm not selling it yet. I'm not looking to sell it yet. But like if I had to buy a plateau now, I just wouldn't. I just wouldn't. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's worth it for me. Yeah. This, this, this is definitely, of course, like once again, like acknowledging that it is the best at what it does, but not like this is strictly just a cost versus what you get out of it. Uh, yeah, so how much better I, is it? How much better yeah. is it that it's worth it? <laughs> like, it, like if if we're talking about pro tour, I don't know why they'd be having legacy lead you to a pro tour <laughs> or anything like that. Then that's that's a different story, right? But if we're talking about just commander. I, f- I guarantee you that this is oftentimes more like just really not going to matter. Uh, 
in mm-hmm. like a majority of times. And yes, there will be that one out of ten times where you're like, ah, if I had an underground sea, sure. But like, I don't think that the nine hundred dollars backing it is worth it. So, um, I might agree with that, right? Like, like yeah, this is strictly just cost versus what you like versus its efficiency, and 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 what it does. Like for for nine hundred dollars, this would have to come down and tap for like like ten thousand times the mana a normal land would like like every dollar put into this it needs to make that much mana when i tap it like in any combination then then we would talk about it right it, if every single time i tapped it it shot confetti into yeah. the air then richard gar like richard garfield would walk on into my room and manually tap it for me on top of that while like handing yeah. me a, like, yeah, like a like little wine because of a little handbell yeah, or something yeah. and richard garfield just taps it for you he gives you a little high richard five Gar- Walks. Mr. Garfield, I'm ready. <laughs> like he tells you, you're such a good magic player. You're a great player, and then walks so taps the land for you, then walks away. Good job, son. Yeah, that all of that plus the every dollar spent is a mana. Then I would play this. <laughs> all right, moving on. We got another another interesting pick from I believe this is also Krim the Sword Cycle. These are. Uh, a super cycle that started in Muradin, uh, and these are all sword of X and Y, and each of one, each of them provide uh, two beneficial effects when they deal combat damage to an opponent or to a player, um, and they give protection from two colors. Right. And Krim, you consider the entire sword mm-hmm. cycle to be overrated. Yep. I I think the how dare you? I, I, go look, look. I know why you would say how dare you. Look, I, this this is acceptable in the Voltron decks, right? Because in the Voltron deck, you're not doing the, I'm playing three mana, I'm paying three mana to play it, and then two to equip it, right? You're probably having 50 different ways to cheat out the enchantment artifact or also, like, flashing it in, right? Um, so so if you exclude that, I still see people playing the swords, and, and I get it, the protection's attached to the cards, and, like, yeah, maybe, like, my Blink deck would really like, I don't know, the new like hearth and hearthstone and home card or whatever home goods equipment like the thing here is that all of that though feels way too slow for what it's doing like three mana and then two more on top of that i would just play something else i'd literally just play a there's numerous uh, uh ephemerate effects I, I would go play a cloud uh, whatever blink or whatever and all of those other things i would just go play another version of that card that's much faster cheaper uh and and the only reason you play these swords is the protection and I think that's the that's its strongest case. I, I know that that you would like to draw a card, shock with Sword of Fire and Ice, but these are just too slow. And there's also better value engines now in in 2021. I'm uh, so offended by this. I know. <laughs> I, I think you if, if you look at my stats, <laughs> I play Sword of Fire and Ice in every deck like it's probably like the number two card behind Dowsing go, Dagger for me they probably it's probably one to one to Dowsing Dagger so I agree that most swords are overrated but there are two good ones and that's Fire and Ice and Feast and Famine right Feast and Famine gives you basically an untap an extra untap phase right that doubles your mana insanely strong that five mana didn't even count right what happens I cast the sword equip hit you untap look Right, I'm ahead. You're down a card. I got a sword. I have free mana, so well, I don't think that's animus. too slow. <laughs> animus is terrible, by the way. But fire nice, fire nice. It's five mana for plus two, plus two protection from two colors, a shock, and a card. 
right? I think that's a very strong rate. And you also remember that these effects are not replaceable in all colors. If I'm playing mono white, right? I do not have 8,000 cards to use to draw cards with. Right? We're, we're, gonna, we're excluding, so, like, you know, like, example, like, the artifact heavy decks and stuff like that. Like, the ones that can actually... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Voltron decks, of course, right? If you're Pierce Steel Paladin right. or <clears throat> Rogacking, whatever, it makes 100%. <clears throat> I, I put it in Scarecrows. I put it in Birds. I put it in literally any deck I play. Any white deck definitely has it. Uh, and I think it's good. I don't know. Is it bad? Is it really that I, bad? Just like three mana, two mana? I, agree I feel like it's too actually. slow. I don't run equipment decks. Draw a card. So, so yeah, right? Like you only run in equipment decks and it makes sense there. But like otherwise... It takes a billion turns. And, like, I mean, even late game, it's nice sometimes if you say, aha, I have the five mana three and then equip for two. But my tribal decks, my aggro decks, I don't play swords. I think the only deck that I even have a sword in is my rogues deck. And it's just because it's body in mine and I want to mill people. So, and even then, that's very bad. <laughs> but, but, like, yeah, like, I, I don't think they're, they're just way too slow for where magic is now by 2021 standard. I just wanted to point out that statistically, they're not actually all that heavily played. I'm sure part of that is that they're really expensive, but I think according to EDHREC, the most played one is Feast and Famine at 4%, but, and then the next most played one is 2%. But so, you look at, like, that is 4%, but that's a lot of decks, like, when you when you see how many have them in it. The price tells you it's heavily yeah. played, though, right? It's like a commander-only card, I guess, outside of, like... Stoneblade decks in Modern and Legacy, right? But it's it's a commander card, and the price is high despite many printings, which means it's sought after, and people who aren't playing it are not playing it due to budget, right? And that they would theoretically happily play it if it was cheaper in price, right? It also Otherwise, has a lot of casual so appeal. Like, these are just cool cards. I think they're I mean, they, very cool. I like they're them. iconic. <laughs> they are iconic. iconic. I'll definitely that like like they are cool when when you when you look at them that way. So yes, cool factor. They're all there. You you are the coolest, right? But the thing here is, it, <laughs> it, otherwise, if you need if you're doing this for something like I don't know a value engine, I think there's better. Uh, there's and, and it's a, there's a lot less investment and it, and it's not as slow. I like I like them in equipment decks because I play a lot of equipment decks. And Feast of Famine, I actually agree with Richard. I would run it in non-equipment decks. Also, it combos really easily. Like Aggravated Assault, for example, it goes infinite with. I think there might be one or two other ways of going infinite with, with Feast and Famine. So, Feast and Famine would be the strongest good, sword. It is definitely the strongest yeah. sword because the ability to untap the mana. But And that would be yeah, the one where, I, okay, I can, I can see that one appearing in more lists. Uh, than than all the other ones. Obviously, I'm not counting whatever the proliferate one. That 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 one's a meme. Uh, if you're playing that one, you're playing it for the blue and white protection. So, uh, but everything else, just not worth it, in my opinion. I don't play generic decks usually, so I guess I I would agree. Editor, hide the stats. <laughs> <laughs> I think I said, like, literally every one of my decks is it's, like, pretty high up there. We'll, we'll see the stats because it's colorless, so it goes in every color deck. And by editor, you mean me. I'm going to have to now look at all yeah. those things. Oh, you, you don't have the stats. That's okay. No one can expose me. You don't have the stats. I, I don't play overrated cards. I'm what are you talking about? I'm cutting this part out. So there. <laughs> all right. Moving on to the last cards on our list. This is another two-for-one, both Orzhov-targeted removal, one being Mortify, 
which sees 21% play on EDH Rec. And the other one being Utter End, this is a 19% uh, uh, representation on EDH Rec. Both of them do similar things. Mortify uh, destroys target uh, creature or enchantment for 3 mana or Zob mana. And Utter End exiles any non-land permanent for 4 mana, both instant speed. So uh, we'll start with you, Seth. You put Mortify on this list. Uh, what, what do you think about this card? Uh, so Mortify is not a bad card. It's a dated card. Ten years ago, Mortify was awesome. But we get good Orzov removal like every other set, it seems like. And we just have so much of it now with D-Spark and Vanishing Verse and Council's Judgment and Generous Gifts and Vindicate and Utter End even on that list. Uh, of course, uh, Anguished Unmaking, I think, is like the number one out of that group. But there's so many options that I just don't think you need to get to Mortify. I think if you start adding your removal to your Orzhov deck, you just aren't going to get Mortify down the list. But I think Mortify is actually the second most played one behind uh, Agonizing Remorse, or Anguish I'm Making, rather. So I, I feel like it's just not necessary, and I would rather play something that dealt with everything over something that only gets creatures and enchantments, because there's powerful artifacts, and sometimes a Planeswalker pops up, or in the case of something like Vindicate, even hitting a land on occasion can be huge in a world of, like, Field of the Dead and Gaia's Cradles and things like that, so I think it's just not as flexible as it used to be, and we got so many good options that I don't know why I gotta play Mortify anymore. I mean, we literally just got Fracture. Right, like so. Fracture. That's yeah. There's so many. Like every set, that there's, it seems creature. like there's a good Orzov removal spell. Uh, let's be honest here. <laughs> Fra vanishing, vanishing verse is a is another like brand new one, which essentially hits yeah. everything it does, except it also exiles, and it's only two mana. So yeah. it's yeah, it's just been outclassed. I think the Mortify is one that I I just right now the only reason why I think it's played is because it's in the starter deck, <laughs> and you forgot to take it out. Because, because uh, otherwise, everything yeah. else I, I think in those colors is better. Almost. That's also important to note that a lot of the EDH rec cards they might have some of their percentage boosted if they show up in commander precons because you know some people are just going to import the precon decks over to EDH rec, maybe make a couple adjustments from there, or they just import it straight on. Um, so it could get boosted a little bit by that, but even so, twenty one percent is still incredibly high. Yeah. Uh, for for any card, really, even if it shows up in in precons, and I also agree. Correct. Also, I think Utter End, I, I like Utter End uh, for its versatility and that it exiles any any card. I like exiling as well too because it prevents recursion. Um, and I used to run it a lot, like six years ago. But I just think four mana is too much for target removal these days. I really like D Spark a ton. That's like one of my favorite Orzhov removal spells, and it's less than a dollar. Vanishing Verse is good too. Council Judgment was expensive, but then it got reprinted. Generous Gift is also gets rid of anything um, at instant speed. So I, I feel like if you're going for target removal, you need to. I, I personally keep it under under three mana or less for my targeted removal anguish and making is like the best i think but it's nine dollars it's kind of it's kind of expensive so i don't personally play with it too much but it is i consider it uh better than most of the other options as well i'm i'm in love i mean you will have to pry my utter end out of my cold dead hands because <laughs> the thing here is i love this card it is an exile effect <laughs> when i want to get rid of it's your stuff mana, i want to get 
I will pay I will pay the four mana if it means first off I get to keep playing my game day promo. Second off, uh, <laughs> exiles. I think the exile is pretty major. Like this this is a format where everything has recursion, right? Every deck is able to bring something back. I mean, it's why you should always have graveyard hate. And it's just nice to know that my four mana answer, though four mana, is going to permanently answer any non-land permanent this one time. And and that's that's good enough to me. Being able to permanently exile, like, let's just say, Darkest Hour or some kind of combo piece of yours and knowing that you'll never get it back is exactly what I want. You know? I like that around, too. Like, I, I think... I, I think that when I'm building a deck, I think the question is how many how many of these cards can you play? Like how many are you gonna put in your deck? I think D Spark is made well. Okay, Anguish on Making's number one. Assuming you're okay with playing a nine dollar card or right. whatever it is, so that'd be number one. D Spark's probably number two. Yep. Utterance probably number three. And then you have like Vanishing Verse, and actually I like Generous Gift a lot too. That's probably like in the conversation for being number three. But how many are you gonna play? Like how many of those removal spells can you put in your deck? Could you get all the way to Mortify? Could you get all the way to Outer End? I think you definitely can, but it just it just depends. So they're decent cards. Mm -hmm. There's just so many options to choose from now. I I, yeah. I will for me. There's a lot to choose from, but I I think you're you're overlooking that. Like example, Generous Gift, though a mana cheaper is still giving them a 3-3, three, three, which could be relevant. Uh, and on top of that, bah. it doesn't exile. It doesn't exile. That's the biggest thing yeah. for me. That's... The exile is what gives uh, this so much value. And the fact that it hits anything that isn't a land. Yeah. No, I like Utter End. I'd pay. Fair. I'd pay. That's fair. I don't play spot removal. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I mean, I know. The, the I list is like, like generous gift. What do you think? It's like the target removal of the man in there. Generous gift. I'll gen play, I'll generous play gift. Chaos war. That's it. You, like two. <laughs> exactly. Generous gift backed up by ghostly prison is all you need. So exactly. I, I never make it too like. I don't even remember the last time I've seen Richard play a ghostly prison though. Honestly. It doesn't even because I play a lot of creatures and I attack, right? So I don't need ghostly prison. If I play creature, <laughs> you don't like need that, removal. You don't need prison. ghostly prison. You just hit things. Uh, player removal is look. If removal. you see someone who's gonna play problematic permanents, you can't remove. You just kill them with your creatures. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's what you do. The the but preemptive the, strike. The player removal <laughs> obviously is very powerful <laughs> when it comes to dealing but, with things. Right? It's like your opponent has counter spells. You can't counter back. I got a solution. Hit them with the birds. <laughs> Get them out of the game, then they won't counter your spells, right? Like, there's a way to deal with this, right? If they're all out of the game, then how can you draw cards? True. Good point. Never mind. <laughs> That's the issue. That's the conundrum there. I don't want to kill you. I want to draw cards and make you watch. <laughs> all right. That is it for our list, everybody. Uh, we've covered... Uh, you know, more than 10. I'm not going to count it. Uh, I, I looked at the list. I couldn't count it in my brain. But it's more than 10. Uh, and just, again, to clarify, uh, these are not cards that we say you should not run. Run what you want. Commander is a casual format, and you are more than encouraged to run every single card you like. That is the main thing, is if you're enjoying the cards, you should play the cards. But maybe, hopefully, uh, these uh, opinions of ours might have given you uh, some more cards to consider. Maybe you like these cards and you want that effect, but you did not know about these other cards that we brought up. That is hopefully the goal, hopefully what, what 
uh, this podcast uh, came across to everybody. But I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. What what cards do you consider overrated and perhaps uh, other alternatives in the same budget range uh, would be uh, something to consider as well? Let us know in the comment section below if you're watching it on YouTube. And if you're watching it on YouTube as well, like, comment, subscribe, do the dingle dangle, do all those great things that really helps us out and stuff. And that's it for the show, everybody. So we'll be with another sweet podcast. So until then, friends, see ya.